Welcome back to another episode of the Freewheeling Podcast. Man, we got back-to-back-to-back episodes, just like the women's racing right now. I'm Abby Mickey. I am, as always, joined by Amy Jones. Hola. Lauren Rowney. Amy, you're meant to start with good morrow. Oh, shit. Good morrow. (laughs) (laughs) G'day. (laughs) And Gracie Elvin. Afternoon from Australia. Today, we're going to talk about the Saratazit Challenge by La Vuelta. Four days of pretty exciting racing. The last last good chunk of racing before uh, before the World Championships. We still got the European Championships and some other stuff, but for now, the World Tour racing is almost wrapped up. Still got some post-World stuff, but yeah, we're getting there. We're getting to the end of the season. I know all of us are about as ready for off-season as the riders. <laughs> this is a big yawn. <laughs> that just tells you what you need to know. <laughs> this week's episode is brought to you by Pock Sports and their new Guardian Air Jacket. The lightweight wind jacket features four-way stretch fabric made not just for trails. The Guardian Air Jacket is ideal for when you're really pushing through the forests and for slightly warmer conditions. Breathable and wicking material that keeps you dry without restricting your freedom and flow. The windproof jacket includes ventilated zones under the arms for improved airflow and zipper pockets to keep all of your snacks secure because who has ever lost a snack and then gone to eat it and been like, my life is over. This is the end. You'll find me on the other side. It even has a hood that fits perfectly under your helmet. Find the link in the podcast bio for more information on the Guardian Air Jacket and everything else Pock has to offer or check out pocksports.com. That's P-O-C sports.com. And thank you so much to Pock for supporting this episode. Don't you hate it when you lose a snack on a descent after doing a hard effort and then you have to turn around and go back and get it? Do you have to make the decision whether you do or don't? <laughs> yeah, and especially if it's like, if you know the snack is something that would have hit the ground and immediately like exploded, like if it's a homemade oat bar, it probably did not stay intact, but it's like, okay, do I go and check? Do I make sure? Because the next gas station is like 10 kilometers away. Will I make it? (laughs) What are you guys doing? How are you losing your shit? Like, how are you doing that? Hey, some cycling apparel does not have adequate pockets well then yeah that's true when i was on rally cycling like the pockets well first of all we only got like two jerseys and two pairs of bibs each and the the chamois would literally just come out of the bibs like (laughs) the stitching just came undone and you were like oh my chamois is moving with me like (laughs) it was really bad it was really bad and so i would just always wear we got like two speed suits and i would just always wear like the well like race suits like with pockets in the back but the pockets were like slanted and the amount of snacks that i lost and they're always really high up on race suits no always found it was like too high up yeah and if you're doing the proper interval and you're like really you know going after it actually your body shouldn't be moving that much that you wiggle the snacks loose if your body's (laughs) moving that much your fit is off I was going to say, maybe that's why I can't relate. <laughs> that you fit so good. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. but I don't do intervals. Oh. <laughs> I've lost a lot of EpiPens out of my back pocket, actually. That's probably what I lose the most. What are you allergic to that you need that? 
bees. Oh, dear God. And you live in Girona. (laughs) And you love sunflowers. That's the worst. (laughs) It's a hard life, you know. (laughs) But here's the thing. I hate honey, so it's fine. I don't like it. That's how it works. If you hate honey, they stay away from you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. So the Saratizit Challenge by La Vuelta happened over the weekend. And this race... When it first started, it was kind of like, you know, it's owned by the the ASO. So everyone knows how we feel about the ASO. But it was this one day, basically downtown Madrid sprint race. And they've really done a good job of every year kind of upping their game. There was a couple years of the Madrid challenge that was just a sprint. And then after a while, they added a team time trial and then they added a time trial And now they're up to a four-day stage race that actually didn't even take place in Madrid this year. It was a very hilly, super exciting race to watch. Have you guys done the Madrid Challenge? Mm, Just one, yeah, when it was the the Criterium thing, kind of like La Course. But this looked amazing. a couple of times. I I can't remember how many times I did it. I definitely did the Madrid version. I feel like I raced on that street circuit three times, but I also did the time trials and the team time trial as well. So hmm. who knows? It's all a blur. I went to Madrid once. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you went to that market in the middle. Oh, that's the best part. That's the only reason yeah. you go to that race before. <laughs> it's end of the season almost. It used to be. Yeah. Yeah. That that's like this season is so long. It feels like oh my gosh. I don't know if it's because last season was so jam packed, and then we only got a couple months off, and then we had like the full season this season. But I mean, at least I love the Australian races. But at least we didn't kickstart the season in January. I feel like that would just be a lot. Do we reckon that's gonna happen next year or not? No. <laughs> yeah, I'd say not. We're currently in lockdown again. Yeah. It's not looking great. Nope. Um, but anyway, back to, you know, the topic at hand. <laughs> Sarah's a ch- Sarah Does It Challenge happened over the weekend, won by Anamie Van Vluten, uh, but not in the time trial, which is pretty interesting. So I think we should just dive into stage one. Stage one was won by Marlon Rusa out of a breakaway. This was a fascinating stage. So... I love it when I'm wrong, although I wasn't entirely wrong. I anti- I said in my preview that this would be a day for the general classification and that a breakaway would not survive because the GC riders were going to take that what category one climb super seriously. I was wrong in that it was won by a breakaway, but it did end up being a huge general classification day because Marlon Musa why why would you why why would you see her go in a breakaway <laughs> i mean like yeah she can ride away that's fine i, I mean that's the eternal question <laughs> she's like silver silver medalist at the olympics for the time trial silver medalist at the world championships literally was just in the leader's jersey at the c-mac ladies store like if there's a rider that you're like yeah you're not safe to put in a breakaway and let ride away but and they didn't even their their advantage wasn't that big, but they the organization from behind was just completely non-existent. I mean, Anna Van der Breggen jumped on the front at one point. Movistar was kind of near the front, but like no one Trek didn't really pull. SD Works like didn't really 
pull. Like it was kind of, there wasn't a lot of coordination coming from the, from the chase, which was really fascinating given that Marlon Russa is like very, very good. And she ended up winning by almost a minute and a half over the Peloton. If you were Corinne, you got in that break, you'd be like sick. I'm in the break. You'd look at her and you'd be like, ah, shit, they're going to chase her down. And then she must have thought that it was like Christmas when they didn't. And then, well, then we know what happened after that. But like, yeah, what's going on there? What Movistar were like in and around the front, but like what were they doing? Because they looked, it was like they were acting like they were pulling, but they clearly weren't. But isn't this what we've seen in the previous past, um, previous races is that there's, been lack of commitment it's just lack of commitment and lack of organization that's it it's kind of like i don't want to go back to the olympics but everyone's looking around to say to at one another going well you do it and then nothing kind of happens um at one point taylor wiles tried to bridge but you know that was quite that was short-lived i mean we only get to watch the race coverage with what what was it 40 or 50k to go i can't recall like 40. And at that point, it was already sitting at almost three minutes because I remember you texting Abby. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm curious to hear what you think, Gracie. Yeah, I think there's like two levels of communication here and we can go back to that Olympic example. It's like in like inter-team communication. What are they talking about together? Who's the team captain? who is giving instructions and who has to ride. Um, so there's that, there's problems there already. We're seeing um, teams like Movistar not looking like they've got great leadership, even though they have one of the world's best riders there. Um, Team DSM, they don't look like they talk much either. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think that's a problem across a few teams and then the, the communication across teams of, like, if there is a team captain, then they're the ones kind of responsible to go and talk to who they think is the team captain of the other team who should have some responsibility. And, and having that kind of allies in the race is super important. And I don't know, in, in years past, we've seen some strong characters being team captains across different teams, but I feel like there's less of those characters around nowadays. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but... I don't think there's a lot of chat going on in the peloton as to who should be doing what. Yeah, I think you, you've hit the nail on the head there. You don't have those. I mean, going back to the time of Ina, for example. Yeah, that um, was the person that I was thinking of. Yeah, and not, not just for the team, but Ina was really like the, the queen of the peloton. So particularly when you're in those situations where you might have, um, say, been in the Jira in a very hilly stage, she was the one who really rallied everyone together and got people to work if she saw the situation, you know, with time limits, we've seen what happens there. Um, but I think you're 100% correct there. There's perhaps lack of leadership. But then I, I think to myself, if you're in doubt, um, and sometimes those race radios, I don't know what they're like these days, but they can be pretty shit with communication. Why not just drop back to the race car and have a, a quick chat with the DS and go, look, what's the situation? What should we do? Um, but obviously that's not happening because for a group like that to win by that margin on, on such a stage where you clearly could have brought it back, right, in those 
those last kilometers like if they've been organized it wasn't like it was some super tough terrain that it's um difficult to get organized it was really fast leading in um and maybe also that was the problem too but i don't know it's just confusing um to sort of figure out what's going on i wouldn't mind talking to some of the riders uh, next week, in lieu of a podcast with the four of us, I have a chat with Lauren Kitchen, who just recently retired. And I did ask her about um, the the situation in the Peloton with respect, like we were talking about last week. And she said, there is a kind of, not lack of respect, but the respect is dwindling. But it's more just everyone is so cutthroat right now um with the amount of money coming into the sport there's like more on the line but also just kind of the over overarching covid people haven't quite gotten used to the fact that racing is going on all the time and so everyone's still kind of racing you know weird not knowing what's going to be next and i feel like to me that's kind of taking nothing away from the riders in the breakaway. Like that was a super strong breakaway. Corinne, Elise Shabby and, and Marlon Russo alone. And then throw in, um, Oh, Paulina Roy, Roy, Roy Arcus, I can't, I can't. That's a like, there's a lot of letters in there. There's two O's and two K's. She's Roy been Arcus. in the peloton for a really Roy long Arcus. time. I should know. If there's how to say if there's two two um, vowels or like two letters, it's short. Then if there's mm, one, so what if there's three vowels in a row? O O I. O O I. That will be short. Mm. Okay. Well, that's a crazy strong breakaway, but I think yeah, it, it's interesting to me that we have this really weird situation where it's either like the race is insane like at CMAC the races were so fast and everyone was aggressive and there was so much going on and then we also have like this situation like the last two days of CMAC because obviously this happened on the first day but like the last two days of CMAC where it was just like really aggressive racing the kind that we love to see and then this like really awkward passive aggressive kind of situation where everyone just the second something goes up the road, teams are just refusing to to do anything about it. Do you it's- think that also half of the riders almost checked out at this point? Oh my gosh, for sure. It's been so, we were talking about this off, off my, no, we were just talking about this a second ago. It's been so long that they've been racing at this point. And like when I talked to Lizzie a couple podcasts last week, last week's first podcast, she you know, the racing was so late into the year last year and there was so much stress around it. There was so much racing packed together. And then the off season was in theory, the same length it would normally be, but kind of shortened, but also there was still all of this uncertainty about COVID and everything. And it adds this layer to the racing that when they, Kind of a lot, I think a lot of people did what Lizzie did and didn't take a proper off season. And so they were flying in the beginning of the year. That's why the, one of the reasons that racing was so fast in the beginning in the spring and everything. And now they're months and months into it. The Olympics are over and people are just like, oh my gosh, like Australians are like, I want to go home. Americans are like, I want to go home. People are just like, 
I want to be done. The racing needs, like we need an off season. We need a break, which is something with cycling that I actually, I actually have a problem with this, that we have like so much racing. I mean, we talk about it a lot that the calendar is not well designed, but in other sports, you don't have like racing like that. You don't have competitions like this. There's like actual proper breaks in between competitions where people can kind of like have a rest, you know, reevaluate. There's actual structure to the calendar. This is just like, it's such chaos that I feel like as we add races and and as races pile up, like no wonder people are exhausted. Mm. And actually thinking about it now, the riders who are usually thrown into the most amount of uh, racing is not not usually the very top in the team because they generally get to pick and choose mostly what they're going to do and they have very specific targets and sometimes you'll see lizzie only race you know the very very big races right um whereas the middle of the pack riders they're the ones who if someone's sick they have to jump in they're, they usually fill those spots as well as having their own race calendars and if we look at what's happening with the racing, maybe in general, just those riders that are needed to really pull and do the work and everything are the ones who are the most fatigued. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Although I think there's a lot to be said about what Gracie said about just like a lack of communication and leadership. Yeah. Just across the board. Yeah. I think it's just that combination of all of these things. Like those are really great points as well. And I've experienced them firsthand myself of, doing an Olympic year and just being absolutely stretched by the end. Like when I think of the Welter Challenge, I think of 2016, I was on the, the start line and um, Tracy Gordry there, who's a bit of a legend in Aussie cycling, and she was the vice president of the UCI at the time. And she used to be a pro. And she came up and just gave me a huge hug and it was exactly what I needed. And I felt like she just knew how hard the year had been. And I'm feeling for everyone now that has gone through that Olympic cycle, whether they raced or not, because it was stressful. Everyone wanted to be there and everyone has checked out. Not, not everyone, but a lot of people have checked out now because either they either went to the Olympics or they didn't, but they wanted to. So mm. it's really tough. Everyone's cooked. I've never believed that there should be this many World Tour classified races. I think we should have a shorter World Tour calendar and a better narrative for that particular series, and that makes the overall leader's jersey a bit more meaningful and it gives that um, space to have a bit more of developmental races and that you know, would breed a bit more of a healthier way in which riders can develop and target races no matter what level they're at. Um, and that was something the Cyclist Alliance was always keen on was promoting that tiered system and it's somewhat happening now, but it's just not quite there yet. But hopefully when we see the expansion of riders in allowed in a team, hopefully that means that we can have, you know, a bit more scope for riders having better breaks in the season. They can target better, they can rest better. And like you said, you're saying, Lauren, like that middle rung rider isn't just getting smashed all year round because they'll never be able to jump up to that top level if they can't get those opportunities to be fresh and target a race. I'm tired and all I've done is sit on my ass and write about it. I'll be like, same. <laughs> yeah, but that's mentally that's mentally fatiguing because you have to be switched on for the race. Then you have to do all the analysis. Thank you, Lauren. Whereas the, the riders, they just the get to pedal their legs struggle. over, you know? 
<laughs> they can coast, you know? They can yeah. just coast. I have to use my brain. That's how it works. My boyfriend said to me, really, how hard is it to just sit in the peloton? He's like, how hard is it to just sit in the peloton? And I was like, oh. <laughs> get away. <laughs> Man. I agree with you, Amy, though. Being on this side of the fence is hard. Having to use my brain oh. sucks. It's just not I acknowledge fit. my body was fit my brain is not fit and I'm struggling to get there and most of us have to also talk or write about men's cycling no, so we're I doing avoid like that quadruple calendar I managed to <laughs> avoid double, double Good job. <laughs> if someone asked me I'm like I don't know anyone I don't know anything sorry <laughs> smart <laughs> smart well I think this is kind of bouncing around what we were going to talk about, but speaking of riders who have kind of checked out, uh, it seems like based on mostly stage three-ish. Two um, as well, no? The time trial. Yeah, and stage two and stage four. I don't know. Based the, the on whole tour. all of them. <laughs> yeah, based on the whole thing. That Anna Vanderbregen is maybe, maybe ready to be done, which makes total sense. I mean, she was already in the team car at C-Mac Ladies Tour to kind of be in that director role and then immediately flip it around and, and race Plue and then immediately go to Spain and race um, the Saratizit Challenge. That's, that is a hard mental switch uh, to kind of change from those two roles. And also, I feel like she has every right to be checked out at this point. She's had such an incredible career and she's going to, race worlds at least that's what we we think uh she was supposed to race the european championships coming up later this week and she is not or next week coming up um but she she's backed out of that so really interesting to see because i think all of us expected that she would be full gas until the end of the season but are not surprised in the slightest to see that she's kind of not on either not on top form or just mentally kind of ready to hang up her bike. She is totally <laughs> allowed to do that. I think, sure, we have expectations, but she shouldn't have any expectations. She's had an amazing season and she's probably been one of the MVPs of the season for other riders. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think what as long as she's happy, hopefully she's in an okay mental place right now. I can't imagine it's an easy um, thing to step away from it, from a career like that. But yeah, she's, she doesn't owe anyone anything anymore. She can just do what she wants in my opinion. Yeah. No, she does not. And the fact that she's still in the races and, and um, racing for her team, even though she could have easily said the Olympics is it, I'm done after that. She's still in the races and working for other riders, which is really cool because there are riders who have, you know, put their results on the line, put their races on the line for her all year. And she's given back to them all year, but to kind of continue racing throughout the rest of the season or at least throughout the worlds and uh, give back to, to the riders on her team is really a very admirable and the races thing. And-, and that's what we love about her. Yeah. No, I was going to say in the races <laughs> and as like a mentor off the bike because – it sounds like she does um, like support the younger riders and kind of advise them and mentor them, which is really great. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for her to be a director. Oh my gosh. It's going to be fun. I hope she does okay with the transition. I feel like she's 
pretty, you know, she, she made the decision to do that. And that's a really powerful move. I mean, we can, we talk all the time about how hard it is to transition out of cycling, but I really hope that that goes well. And from kind of a, someone who's been in the sport, someone who's had some really, really crappy directors in my time, I just hope that this kind of encourages, inspires other riders when they leave to, to step into director roles, because it's one thing that we're actually really missing on the women's side. This is another thing I talked to Lauren Kitchen about that we're going to, we're going to chat a little bit about, but the fact that there's not a ton of women who are, there's Ina and there's Georgia on Trek Segafredo, but there's not a lot of women who have been professionals and actually know the sport and actually know the ins and outs of, you know, off the bike stuff, uh, training with menstrual cycles, like stuff like that, um, who are now in director roles. And as women cycling grows, we still have a handful of directors that are in the sport that would not get the job if it was a men's team, but they get the job because there's less people in the pool for being a director of a women's team. And that's another thing that like the game needs to be stepped up as directors on the women's side. Speaking of, it's really cool to see Alex Greenfield um, is going to be the DS of the new, how do you say it? Unox? Unox? Uno X? Uno X team. That team is shaping up to be a sweet team. Joy yeah, Leth. exactly. So that, that's, that's really news. exciting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. She's, um, and she was the assistant endurance coach for Cycling New Zealand. And I mean, she raced herself some years ago, Alex. She was a very talented British rider, but I think was burnt out by the, the system from what I remember. Wouldn't be the first um, one. So it's great to see her. Exactly, exactly. No, she's great. She's built such a great reputation in such a short amount of time. I've heard lots of good things about her from lots of different people. So that's really cool news to hear that she's gone to Uno X and she's got some very classy writers to work with. So should we have a debate? <laughs> Can we just like, it's not really a debate, but it's like a conversation that needs to be had. Can we just not with the uphill time trials and stage races? Can we not? Like, yes. throw a mountaintop in there. Like, why do we need to have uphill time trials? This is the second uphill time trial in a stage race this year. And it just, like, it makes the general classification so much less competitive because it just really puts some riders head and shoulders above other riders. But it's, like is this really necessary? Can we have a flat TT and then a mountaintop finish? And then that kind of opens up the conversation a little bit more. You know, I definitely enjoy watching a mountaintop finish way more than an uphill TT. I mean, I don't really watch TTs uh, as no. such. <laughs> I mean, I do Wait, I'll pop sorry, it yeah, on, like have it in the background. <laughs> you have it in the background, right? And you're paying attention, but it's not like you're you're hooked to what's happening in in it. And of, of course, if it's an uphill TT, we know Annemiek van Vluden is on form. Like there was no one who was going to beat her in, in stage two, right? But the I guess what the exciting thing was the fact that Rusa had such a margin on her that, you know, Annemiek wasn't going to outright win the tour. But I guess we'll get into that a bit later. So from that perspective, I think it opened up a little bit. And then also just to see some um, Marta Cavalli had a really good ride. 
Yeah, she was in third. Yeah. Really, really impressive ride. Um, I mean, even for, for Marlon Russo, she was so impressed with her performance because she doesn't classify herself as a climber, right? She's a time trialer. Um, and I really loved her interview at the end of the tour where she's just didn't expect to have the season she's had and she's just so overwhelmed and thrilled by by what she's achieved um, this year. I just thought that was really oh, cool. She was- after she won stage one, she was like, I thought today was a rest day. Yeah. And started racing tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I was like, girl, I, I think you're great. I think you're cool. I love your hair. <laughs> and then also. Uh, definitely, she's giving good interview, that's for sure. Yeah, she gives a great interview. Um, and like, uh, I thought Taylor Wiles had a really good um, time trial considering she's always working really hard um, as a worker. And she was actually the best placed for Trek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 13th. Yeah. There was a couple of really good, really good performances. I mean, there was um, Kristen Faulkner was in fourth, Leah Thomas fifth. Uh, the time gaps actually for the top weren't as big as I expected with um, Annemiek Van Vluten in the race. She only won by 20 seconds over Uskets. Marlon Russo. Uh, oh, my God. That's not how you say her name. Probably. It's good. Yeah. Really good. She had yeah. a really good ride. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think she's actually, she's won a stage at um, Valencia. You Valencia? Won, Valencia? Valencia, yeah. yes. So I think they're going to be very happy with her on Bike Exchange to have her signing. I'm sure a lot of people thought that they only signed her for her boyfriend's um, <laughs> We profile. don't mention that. We don't mention that. <laughs> <laughs> he who shall not be named. Um <laughs> Yeah, so very cool to see her stepping up like that and certainly Bike Exchange needs people to step up so they haven't had a very good season apart from Grace Brown. Yeah, she was in the hot seat for yeah. for a while and really it was only kind of when the the last 10, 15 riders came in that she was bumped out of that hot seat. But it she was... For a while, she had set the strongest time, and it was really cool to see. I'm so sad she's not doing Worlds. <laughs> it would have been she's not? really, yeah. Anyway. Sad day. <laughs> um, so stage, so stage three. <laughs> uh, stage three was the general classification day in which it was a hilly enough stage. There were two categorized climbs that a breakaway went pretty early that had, or like, eh, not early, a breakaway went like mid-stage. It had Annemiek Van Vluten in it, and she ended up breaking away from that breakaway to go solo and win by almost three minutes. Um, first of all, incredibly impressive ride by Annemiek Van Vluten. She's, whatever she did before the Olympics worked, uh, it was a lot of altitude. She's done a lot of altitude since. But it was a really, really impressive ride. I mean, she said afterwards she just felt really good. And, um, and yeah, it showed. There was a group behind her that was, I mean, not a not a group of nothings. I mean, we had Cash and Iwadoma in there, Elise Shabi, uh, Marlon Rusa, Elisa Longaborghini, Flirty Mackay. I mean, Leanne Lippert. Like, that was a freaking good break. In, I mean, it wasn't even a break. Like at that point, it's it's a selection, right? It's an elite that's a selection. selection. Yep, exactly. And 
we can talk about, can we talk about if they were chasing? Like, they were, everyone was pulling through, except for Elisa Langoborghini, which we can get to in a second. But, like, were they not, were they not pulling, were they, like, faking it? Because three minutes? She won by three minutes. That's, like, a group of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's a group of eight versus one person. Are you saying everyone was glass-cranking it? Like, yeah, that's what I'm it. saying. Never eight heard people that. versus one person. Oh. No, crystal cranks. Crystal cranks. Oh man. Uh. Okay, sorry. <laughs> you, got, you got it. You got it wrong, Amy. <laughs> no, I don't think. I don't think Marlon Russo was was glass slash crystal cranking. But no. I. But it, it's. I cannot fathom that there was eight people in a in a group that were that that's hold that up, hold up, hold group. up. What happened two years ago at the Worlds? Fucked if I know. Yeah, no, I mean, like, if if the reason that she won is just because... Oh, in well, Yorkshire. Regardless, yeah, regardless of... <laughs> regardless <laughs> of... I don't know what happened the, yesterday, Laura. The riders behind were... <laughs> sorry, Abby, go. <laughs> what did happen yesterday? Your shirt's yeah, on inside out. literally, literally. <laughs> everyone listening, that is actually true. <laughs> it was... I mean, it was, yeah, it was just a really interesting thing to watch. And and the finale was even more interesting because they were at one point bringing the gap down. And then Elisa Longaborghini started sitting on, which like the the race is three minutes up the road. Like, why are you sitting, if you're sitting on to attack, I don't understand because the right, the race is three minutes up the road. Um, I feel like Anami got that three minutes really quickly because she'd attacked on that long climb. It was, what, a 15-kilometre climb or something? Yeah, so yeah, that, really long you climb. can get that time on a big climb like that. And I just think that everyone just had to, you know, get out of the red zone, figure out what group they were in. There's only so much you can pull on a climb, and I think that gap just blew out by the time that they could have the the roads good enough that they could pull through. And then having two riders from Canyon and two riders from DSM is definitely going to make everyone else make sure that they don't pull too hard. Marlon Russo really was the one that was going to lose out the most, so she had to pull through pretty hard. And I think that they were bringing that gap down once they got off the climb, um, but it just wasn't quick enough and they just couldn't do it Animic was on a super day and then people started sitting on mostly it was elisa so i think just all of those combinations just played into Animic's hands really mm-hmm. which is what she excels at she excels at getting that huge gap and then kind of banking on that there's not going to be enough organization behind her which is happened multiple happened. times right yeah and exactly what gracie said when you have when you have that representation, and I don't know, Anamique would have been getting something in her ear as well. But I mean, regardless, she just puts her head down and we know that she can ride a hundred kilometers solo and win. So um it was impressive. In her interview after the time trial, she was kind of like hoping, or she said she was hoping that it would be a bit more of an explosive race, like a bit more of a battle. She was like she said something like, we're not going to give the GC as a present to Marlon Rosa. And it was like, well, no, she just gifted herself instead. Mm-hmm. 
Happy birthday to me. She did say she did say she would rather fight for yeah. the leader's jersey yeah. than defend the leader's jersey. And yeah. she she definitely had fun fighting for the leader's jersey and succeeded. I mean, she was two minutes and 48 seconds like, ahead of a group in the final you know, however many kilometers towards the finish, the chasing group behind really lost all of their cohesion. And at one point, uh, kind of like on stage one with Corinne Rivera, where when Rusa rode away, she kind of just stopped pedaling, which is a weird decision for Corinne um, because she was the out-and-out favorite to win if that group came down to a sprint. So you'd think she would be invested in keeping it together but once again there was a moment where marlon russo was sitting on the front with the two canyon riders behind her and either flirty Mackay or liana lippert just kind of stopped pedaling it like it was like this really weird moment where there was like this split that only happened because the whoever was sitting behind the canyon riders just just stopped and they rode away and then it came back together because Elisa Longoborghini pulled it back together who'd been sitting on the back and then that broke up again with the with um Leanna Lippert, Kashini Wadoma and Elisa Longoborghini and Flirty Mackay riding away uh, like it was this weird dynamic in that group behind um that ended up breaking it apart a little bit yeah so Leanna Lippert came in second. If if there was a prize for the most second places, Team DSM would win. Oh, yeah, I think you yeah. <laughs> I mean, they got second how many times? Three times at the tour of Nor at the ladies' tour of Norway. They got second twice in uh this tour? This one, no? Saratizit Challenge, and they got second at least once at CMAC. No, they got third because there was two riders up the road on stage one. But they they won the bunch sprint. Like they're really good at it. They're really good at they good at winning the bunch the winner. Bunch sprint. Yeah. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> We're all making faces at each other. It's going back to what well, Gracie said before. <laughs> yeah. It all There's a lot of other things happening too, which is riders moving teams. So you often see this end of season lack of cohesion because everyone kind of knows now who's staying and who's going from teams and it does change things and that's why people don't like to announce it until later in the season. Well, at least we haven't got women's teams bosses like <laughs> absolutely rinsing their riders Shit. in the press a la yeah. old mate what's-his-name. From Quick Step, Lafava, our my favorite. best friend. Yeah, your bestie. <laughs> I love that guy. Also known as mm-hmm. H. Read the room, Amy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I frequently do it. <laughs> <laughs> so stage four was super exciting. Mm-hmm. This one was the one that came down to there was a group off the front, and it and Leah. Thomas attacked near the finish and rode solo for a couple of kilometers. And the moto definitely should not have still been behind her on that final climb. I think that was two motos that shouldn't have been there in the coverage. I was just like, oh my God, (laughs) you're having in the men's race. (laughs) (laughs) That was so bad. I don't understand how they didn't pull those motos out. I mean, yes, we would like to see the video coverage, but I 
my heart stopped when Leia Thomas was riding up that final, whatever, 200, maybe 200 meter, super narrow, really steep street. And Elise Longa Borghini came around one side and, and Lada Capecchi came around yeah. the other side. And I was just like, oh God, that moto should not be there. We should, it should not be there. But it was a really exciting finish, mostly because we had no idea how close the bunch was to Leia Thomas. And so we did not expect for them to come around, but Leia was off the front for a while. And then by the time, you know, the bunch caught up at the bottom of the climb, mostly pulled by Falcar Travel and Service for Elisa Balsamo, they hit the bottom of that climb so fast. And Elisa and Lotto Capecchi were, it looked like Leia Thomas was standing still how fast they went around her. And really awesome to see Capecchi win because we know she had a really rough Olympics. She crashed really hard in the on the track in the omnium and she has had to take a couple months off and so seeing her back to racing is really awesome she's the hot fave for worlds come on no i was just gonna say that finish was really hard i mean like if if you looked at the angle it looked like almost elisa and lotta were in their own breakaway they completely gapped the rest of the field um i'm not too sure how hard the finish is in leuven I know that it's um, a sloping finish, but um, yeah, you're spot on, Amy. She's got to be one of the red hot favorites. I mean, it's yeah. it's the home race, huh? Yeah, no pressure. But sometimes we know how that yeah. goes, huh? I mean, the only thing holding her back will maybe be team. Um, the Belgians have some really strong riders, but if you kind of stack them up and compare them to the depth of some other nations. I feel like at the same time though, I don't, I think that Capecchi would be totally capable of just surfing wheels and following moves and racing for herself and winning. Also, when we talk about strong teams, I mean, I keep going back to the Olympics. I know it's a different race and everything, but I am curious based on everything we've just spoken about in this podcast, how people are going to pull up at the world championships and what kind of race will be. Um, If it's going to be a sloppy kind of race in a sense with tactics. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say. It's hard to say because like we just said, people are, people are tired. People are ready to be done, but the world's its own beast kettle of fish yeah where you know it's you wear that rainbow jersey for a year so it's a pretty big deal you can kind of you can kind of work your way out of the fog to be able to show up for the world championships i want to go back to Lottie kopecki she's definitely one of the favorites for the race but she also has yolene Dor on her team as well they announced mm-hmm. the belgian road team already so you know it's it's also a pretty big home race for yolene we haven't really seen her race much on the road this year because she was so track focused but she's done super well in spring classics in the past and this world's course only has just over a thousand meters of climbing so it's got lots of short punchy climbs, but that's actually not a lot of climbing over 160 kilometers. So I still think it's going to be a, an almost a pure sprinter's race. I, I think that's great. I think it's great. I love it. Yeah. We talked about this already, but we don't need like a race doesn't need to have big climbs. I I decided while watching the Vuelta stacked up with the Benelux tour and also watching 
um, C-Mac and then watching Sarah Does It Challenge that do we do we really need these massive climbs in races? Because it's always more exciting when the climbs are short. Great. The yeah, spring classics are the best exciting. races to watch, <laughs> no? Yeah. The, well, they really are. They are for a reason. And there's a lot of, I mean, I, there's, there is, I enjoy watching big climbs as well. It's just a, a completely different type of racing. It's like slow motion. Yeah. Almost. I feel like we can't really ever have a proper debate here on this podcast about climbs like an uphill time trial or a hilly roads course because none of us believe it. That that's we all the agree way with that... each other. <laughs> We're just like, that's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should play devil's advocate. No, climbs are great. Put more of them in. There's not enough climbing. Make everyone suffer. Make Anamik win by <laughs> 10 minutes. <laughs> I don't you're not believable in oh. the slightest. They should have an Everesting World Championship. Get, get off. Agreed. Get off the podcast. That would be <laughs> that would be amazing. Imagine. I love watching seven feel. I love watching seven hours of bike racing. Oh no, hard pass. Mm-hmm. Makes me feel sick. Well, at least for the women's race, you know they'd only turn on the live coverage for the last 20 minutes. So you wouldn't <laughs> have to true. watch seven hours. <laughs> Before we wrap this podcast up with a little PSA, this episode is also brought to you by Hammerhead. Hammerhead's Karoo 2 is a next-generation cycling computer that brings the power of advanced GPS navigation and intuitive software right to your handlebars. With the Karoo 2, you can see your data clearly and in high-res, full-color, smartphone-like with the Karoo 2, you can see your data clearly on a high-res, full-color smartphone-like screen. The touchscreen display is beautiful and responsive and gives you an on-the-go flexibility. It's even water and scratch resistant, which is pretty cool. For a limited time, our podcast listeners can get a Hammerhead heart rate monitor for 50% off with the purchase of a Karoo 2. Visit hammerhead.io and use the promo code CYCLINGTIPS before September 30th for this Fantastic offer. Don't forget to use the promo code because not only is it a great deal, it also supports our podcast. That's hammerhead.io promo code cycling tips to get 50% off a Karoo 2 heart rate monitor today. Thank you so much to Hammerhead for sponsoring this episode. Whilst we're like in our complaining slash like grumble, 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 get off my lawn phase. So Lizzie Dagnan, we're going to end this podcast with a little... With a little PSA. (laughs) Lizzie Dagnan posted on Instagram over the weekend um, that she was riding in her, where she lives uh, in like the Nice Monaco area. And a guy, a stranger jumped on her wheel and was riding on her wheel. And then she stopped at a stoplight and he ran into the back of her and broke her bike. Um, Lizzie Dagnan, one of the best Cyclist in the world, getting ready for the world championships. D- dude, bro. The hubris <laughs> of men never fails. Like, I'm sorry. So if you're out there and you ever see a professional riding along, or or anyone, like anyone, anyone at all, just if you want to sit on their wheel, just ride up next to them and be like, hey, do you mind if I tag along? Don't just like silently sit on their wheel. And also, if you're sitting on their wheel, like, be cognizant of what's going on around you. Pay attention. And I mean, for for a professional rider, like she's doing her job, 
She's literally working. Would you want someone to come sit, like sit behind you over your shoulder while you're working at your computer? No, you would not. I would not enjoy that. Like, that is so rude. It's so rude to just like sit but on. But not just sit behind you anything. while you're working. Sit behind you while you're working, and then just get a glass of water and like chuck it on your keyboard for lol. Dump it on your computer. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining like this guy riding behind her, and then like he's tried to get the backward selfie, so we kind of turn around on your bike. <laughs> no, Lauren, you're giving him and too then, much and credit. Then, and then as he's turned back, he's just ridden straight into You're giving her. him. But you know what happened is he was going so hard to keep up with Lizzie Dagnan that his head was down. And so this he didn't dude is see not a fan. Yes, this, I reckon this is the classic mammal. Do we all know what that means? Because sometimes people don't. Yes. Who has just seen a woman going fast on a bike? Who is probably, this happens, we all know the, the one. You're just like minding your business. The one. And like, <laughs> you pass a guy who's also just minding his business. He's going steady. If I, if I want to encounter this, I go up Els Angels and Girona. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If I feel like going hard and just like going out for some mammal hunting, I'm like, I'm going to climb Els, maybe like 10, a- 10 a.m. on a Sunday. <laughs> and I'm going to like, I'm going to go past like five guys who are mammals and I'm going to pass them. And then sure enough, you turn around and one minute he's like looking at the views, thinking about his book of the year, and the next thing he's on your wheel, trying to follow. And not only that, he'll sit there for a good ten minutes, and then he'll try and pass you, he'll leapfrog you, and then you're like, "Why?" And then you go past again because they can't like descend on the descent, the bit Hold of the, the descent, yeah. and then they do. You're just stop. Is all I have to say. I've got it. I've got it. Our T-shirt, what it should be, is mammal hunters with the picture of the pal puffs. Or <laughs> should it be mammal hunters and then on the back, get off my wheel? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. I was being interested to know if Lizzie was in France or Italy at the time because it's happened to me in Italy. They haven't actually, like, properly hit me, but... They run the lights there. They just, they don't stop for traffic lights because cyclists have different rules there apparently. And, <laughs> yeah, they, like, sometimes they abuse you if you stop at a red light. They're like, because you've, like, gotten in their way. But, yeah, very I, annoying. That's, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, if you're not going to stop at a red light, like, at least, like, slow down and look around. Yeah, I mean, no, you want to get slow down. They get annoyed like, if you slow down. Don't. Um, Look, I don't run red lights, but I will admit when I used to get up at 4.30 in the morning in Australia and there was no one on the road and the light turned red and I was running late, even regardless if I wasn't running late, I'm pretty sure I used to just roll them, but there was no one on the road. There's a time and place. There's a time and place to run a red light. I know, I'm a terrible person. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, mammals, stop. The end. Sometimes when I'm riding and someone's riding on my wheel, I don't point stuff out. Like, because I was riding alone and I don't have to point stuff out. I'm not in a bunch ride. And if someone, like, starts tagging along for a bit too long, it shouldn't be my responsibility to then point out potholes and stuff, should it? 
No. I get, because just you're just minding your own business. Of Gracie, like, riding in a straight line towards a pothole. And then just, like... <laughs> yeah. I kind of wrapped on that and like because I, I used to love the echelons like I would just ride so hard in the gutter <laughs> I just do a lot of snot rockets like <laughs> I try really hard to hit them with my boogers yeah that's a good one <laughs> feel free I mean, to share your mammal stories in the slack please pop. do oh we're all we're just all we're asking for like all we're asking for is that if you see someone out riding, if you see a woman out riding or like a professional or anyone, if you see anyone out riding and you're like, hey, I want to jump on their wheel, just ride up and be like, hey, do you mind if I ride on your wheel? And then if they say, no, I'd actually rather you don't, then be respectful and don't ride on their wheel. And if they're like, yeah, actually, that would be great. Then there you go. Free ride. But like, don't feel like you're being showed up by a girl when she passes you and you have to jump on her wheel and then sprint around her. Like, don't do that. That's not cool. Like, that's toxic masculinity, right? Mm -hmm. Like, just don't. Just don't do it. And if you ask politely, like, maybe they'll say yes, you know? Then you'll get to meet a friend. But don't just, yeah, just don't. I, it's... I feel like Lauren and I have gone on this rant, but clearly it needs to be said again. Well, it, I feel like, yes, because every mammal in the world listens to this I was going to say, podcast. none of them are listening to this. <laughs> no, the only, the people who listen to this podcast are respectful humans and they wouldn't do this. So tell your yes. friends. Tell your friends. Tell your, tell your guy with tell your friends that we do not bib shorts <laughs> to just mind his business. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but if if someone is really suffering, I mean, I've been there, like massive headwind home dying because I've like bonked and not taken enough food or something. And then someone comes flying by and I think, oh, it'd be so nice to sit on their wheel. But yeah, if 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 I did that, then I would definitely be like, hey, mate, is it okay if hey, I mate. tag along for, for a few kilometers? I'm pretty wrecked. Anyway, I mean, I've done that. I've done, I've actually, I've asked, I think I was, I can't remember where I was. Uh, I was coming, ooh, I was coming back from the climb in a mare and I'd been just doing 10 minute all out efforts up that climb. I think it was like five by 10 minute efforts up the Amer climb, which if you've, if you know Girona at all, you know this climb. I hate that climb. <laughs> I hate if it. If you would like to spot some professionals, just go ride that climb. You'll see literally all of them. <laughs> um, and so I was riding like a mare through Anglaise back to Girona on the road that's downhill. The road, the road that never ends sometimes. I hate yes. that road. Oh. oh, it was awful. And I saw, I think it was like Nathan Haas maybe. And I was like, can I, can I just, can I take yeah, But you know him. him. I'm, I'm a, dead. There's the difference. That's a difference. Yeah, but if it was a stranger, then I would have just suffered all the way home because I'm shy. I was going to, I just don't like talking to people. So I'd just be like, I'll just see ya. Edwin. No, I've had some bad experiences on that climb. I, I actually called my dad once crying. <laughs> I'm serious. Damn, this is I was in such a bad head. <laughs> I was in such a bad headspace, and I knew I had to ride home. And like, once you're there, there's no short way home. No, it's like it doesn't matter an which hour way you home, go. no matter <laughs> like an hour minimum, no matter where you go. Taxi. I'm sometimes like I hate the road back so much like the direct way back so much that I consider going like a longer, harder way back just because it's nice. I like going up on my tea or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
because it's always a headwind too. It's like slightly downhill, but it's always a headwind back to Girona. And, and then you finally get into Girona and you have to ride through all like the really oh, annoying red lights. Like I swear there's no, they haven't done any kind of city planning with those lights. They don't sync up. No, man. Do, are we getting <laughs> paid by the Girona tourist board for this? Or what's that? Don't come to Girona. <laughs> No one lets you sit on their wheel. <sighs> you, there's headwinds everywhere, traffic lights, <laughs> shit climbs. Yeah, it's a shit place. All you see is pros. Actually, some people like that. <laughs> uh, you don't see anyone. <laughs> uh, well, that was our PSA for the day. Um, that's all we got. Uh, next week, Lauren Kitchen, and then after that, we will be back to. Preview Talk about world. The world championships. Yeah. Oh my god. Yes, and then Lauren and I will be together. Oh my god, <gasps> Abby, we can do a preview, an actual preview. Oh my god, we could do a preview together. Did you feel left sitting out? at the so same exciting. table? It's <laughs> okay. Look, I'm happy for you guys. I'm happy for you. <laughs> to be fair, I haven't seen Abby in person since 2017. That's a long time. It's been a Lauren, I've never seen you in person. Yeah, it's been babe. a really long time. So. I know. I know. I stalked your Instagram the other day just to get to know you a bit better. Anyway, we've we've really gone off. We've really yeah. gone off topic. So we're just going <laughs> to yeah. we're going to cut this short. Well, we're going to cut this now cuz it's not <laughs> short. Um thank you so much for listening to the podcast.